knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com If there's a man or woman listening or watching this podcast and you've always wanted to do something, go for it. But go for it with everything in you and have the confidence that you can be great in it. Because the reason I say that, I started realizing that a lot of my friends and even my family, they are just living this slow, conservative, safe route to death. And that's pretty bold of me to say that. But they're not taking any chances. And I have learned that you do fail a lot. But, But if you keep getting back up and swinging, you succeed. And so with this, in America, there's so many ways. I mean, there's got to be a Jay-Z. There's got to be a Beyonce. There's got to be a Tom Rowland. There's got to be a Michael Jordan. There's got to be a Chuck Adams. There's got to be a Dale Earnhardt. Who, Who in some of these areas that we have a chance to play in could think that they would be a livelihood? I'm not saying that's easy, but it's not it's not wrong for Americans or anybody a human being to go after being into this 10% or 20%. And I think what happens is most of the people who love us the most, I catch myself as a parent now doing it. We try to push into this yes. safe zone of this 80, 90% of making a livelihood, you know, working at a high rise or being in the agency rather than to push to own the agency. And so in a deep way, I think that's the problem with America. Now we get into the point where people don't even want to work. They just want to sit at home and just get something given to them. And so, uh, I think the American dream is still alive, but it's only alive if you dream and you have the the balls. I know that I guess I can say it on this podcast to just go get after it, to go get after it. And if you fail, you can still jump back into that 80 percentile. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Waddell with the TV show Bone Collector. Love to hunt and fish and do about anything outdoors. And I'm now on the Tom Rowland podcast. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. 
Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, everybody? We've got a great podcast for you today. One of the greatest people in the hunting industry, certainly one of the icons of the hunting industry, is Michael Waddell, the man from Booger Bottom. That's how that's his moniker. And Michael Waddell has done it all, man. He, I've been watching his shows for a long time. I'm really looking forward to talking to him and uh, just finding out what makes him tick because he has had a remarkable career. And um, it's just a, it's, it's. I know it's going to be a good story. And um, and Michael is is a good guy. I mean, his his uh, success in the hunting industry has been that he is the hunting industry he is the hunting you know the the people that hunt he represents them all and he does a very good job doing it and because of that he has been unbelievably popular unbelievably popular you go to a sports show michael waddell's there there's a line out the door waiting to see him and um i'm really excited to have him on the podcast today and um we're going to talk about Wherever the conversation takes us, now Michael can talk. He is a talker, and uh, so I hope I can get in a word edgewise. But I got a lot of questions I want to ask him uh, specifically about you know certain periods in his career where he decided to either go for it or not, and uh, and how that got him to be where he is today. So stick around. This is going to be a great one, and um, if you like it, I would love it if you would share it with one of your friends. Copy the link, text it to one of your friends, tell them, hey, man, this is the Michael Waddell story. Check it out. That would be awesome. You can get on your social media, post it on there. That would also be much appreciated, and and I'd be grateful for that. Um, And if you really like it, you can go to iTunes, and you can give it a rating and review. Five stars would be awesome, and you can just put on there, man. I love the Michael Waddell episode. If If you don't know what to write, just put something like that on there, whatever. You don't have to get, you don't have to write a paragraph. You can just pick an episode that you liked or something and just write a review for that. That would be awesome. Awesome. And if you want to get in touch with me, there's one way to do it. That is to text area code 305-930-7346. That's the text that I've set up specifically for you guys. You can text me there. I'll answer questions. You can give me show suggestions, um, guest suggestions. Ask any kind of questions you want. That's what it's for. All right. Now, without any further ado, here is Michael Waddell, the bone collector, the man from Booger Bottom. Call him what you want. He's the biggest name in hunting, in my opinion. Michael Waddell. Michael Waddell, 
The man from Booger Bottom, right here on the Tom Rowland Podcast. Man, I'm excited to have you, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh, Tom, glad to be on here, man. Been excited to chat with you, man. I know y'all been wide open and have a lot of exciting things. And plus, we never had a chance to sit down and, and really chat a lot. I mean, I've seen you around some of the shows, and obviously you've been a long time in TV and, uh, you know, mostly mostly wetting them hooks <laughs> while I'm over there hunting, hunting. But, yeah, I, I, I know we need to combine our adventures, and then we'd have the perfect situation. <laughs> I know. We could we could go. Well, the problem is is that you have a lot of the, 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 uh, the things that we like to do happen at the same time. Turkey hunting and tarpon fishing happen right at the same time. But – you know, we can work that exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> and I've always, I've always heard, and I, and obviously I know the addiction of Turkey, but I've always heard that tarpon fishing is the exact same type of addiction. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would, I would probably be a complete physical and emotional wreck if I got into tarpon fishing, because I wouldn't know which way to go. Mm. I'd be like, had to cut myself in half. <laughs> well, I, I know that's all you need is another, is something else pulling on you. I'm sure that, uh, I mean, you're, you're a busy guy, man. You've got so much going on and over the years you've been able to keep it going on and, and expand it and move on. Now you got the podcast going on and, uh, I don't, I, it's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, about how you have been able to balance like this, this career that you've created, the, the, your own personal hunting, cause I'm, I'm sure that hasn't stopped. And then you're a family man. I mean, and then you're expanding these businesses and you're doing more and more. And it just seems like, you know, even to, to somebody like me, that's got a lot of things going on. I look at somebody like you, I'm like, man, that's a trick. I mean, there is a trick to, to balance and keep all of that thriving and not let one of those things like your family life or this business over here. How have you done that? Well, it's funny, Tom, and you're right. I, I think a lot of our life and career has a lot of parallels. Like I said, me, me more over in the, the hunting side where, where you and your fishing and, and obviously, you know, you've been a guide for, for many years. And then now, obviously, when you step over into kind of this business adventure, which um, th that was something I wasn't ready for, but I, I would <laughs> best say, I mean, a way to summarize it is I've had a lot of success on all of it, but I've also had a lot of failures on all of it. And, and somewhere in the middle has been this balance of learning from, you know, things that, that work and things that don't work. And, um, and it has, I mean, as you know, this, this lifestyle is such a blessing. I mean, I wake up and I pinch myself Honestly, you know, to be able to sit down and chat with you, I've, I've, I've met and had a chance to hang out with so many people I respect uh, across the country, not just in our area as far as outdoors, hunting and fishing, um, but, but in every walk of life from, from athletes to actors to actresses to singers, entertainers. And when you share this common bond of, of hunting and fishing, you know, it kind of you become like this brother or sister. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that it really breaks down all the, the politics and barriers of, of financial uh, situations from politics, anything. And so but with that, to have a chance to take off and all of a sudden become re representing of that. I think early in my career, it was a little different because I think I was more greedy as to just the adventure and the hunt and trying mm -hmm. to fill a tag and. And so it was easy to neglect family and to just be blindsided as like, man, I'm getting to, to do this. And so I was almost kind of game hoggish, <laughs> if that's the word. You know, I was just so excited. I was young. I was ready to be on the road where now I've learned to say no to some things that I still would love to go because, you know, I do have a T-ball, uh, a son in T-ball. Mm -hmm. And this was the first year, Tom, speaking of that bounce, this was the first year I've got five kids and this year was the first year I've ever was a coach yeah. this past spring. I had a chance to coach 
my son and t-ball and of course you know if you coach t-ball you're just, you're it really you don't have to coach it's more just a kind of a babysit and hug them and high five but but dude it was kind of emotional because all my other kids came and watched Waylon, our youngest you know he's four and i was like wow this is amazing but i did miss out on a lot of what i would have been turkey hunting or running around and maybe it would have been you know getting a chance to catch a tarpon or something and so it has been extremely hard but extremely um, fun and, and life learning to figure out what is the best route. And, um, from business, I, I never woke up years ago and said, man, I'm going to be a businessman. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, matter of fact, I still struggle with the business aspect. I, I, I feel excited about getting into stuff creatively, uh, which is one thing that brought you and I together because I love what you guys doing at Waypoint. And it's a cool, creative masterpiece. If you ask me, um, to touch a whole nother, the same audience, but starting to make it easier. But, um, right. We'll talk about that later, but, but overall, Tom, it's, it's been fun and I've learned and I'm still learning. And, um, it, it is a balance because for me, I truly legitimately out absolutely love this outdoor lifestyle. So you got my number one hobby and then I ended up having a chance to represent it and make a living at it. So, so that's, that's good. I've always thought if you're purpose driven and you enjoy and have passion and then you can learn to become great at something, um, you know, like for me, I, I'm not saying I'm the best, but I did become pretty good at hunting and shooting a bow and chasing turkeys like you did on trying to figure out how to catch a fish where mm -hmm. somebody else maybe not could. So, but I also it was a hobby and I'm still learning every day. So I just want to keep getting more of it. I want to go all the time. I don't consider going turkey hunting, you know, getting up at, and hunting at daylight and then, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock, eat breakfast. I, I, I'm, I'm so freaking obsessed with it that all of a sudden it's three o'clock and I hadn't stopped and those around me are starving. And I'm sure you've been that way, you know, in your passion to catch sure. a fish, you know? And so for me, it's just been insane to, to figure out a way to make a living out of it. But there is that hard balance of figuring out like, I really want to do this. There is a financial reward to do this. Plus there's a emotional reward because it becomes something I get to do again that I love. However, you know, my kids are having a chance to receive a B honor roll. Right. I need to be there. So, yeah. so I've learned to balance that better. And to be honest with you, I probably failed more on the family side of it than I did on the entertainment side of, of doing the TV stuff, because I've learned better to, to know when to say no, you know, now yeah. obviously a little more gray in the beard and <laughs> you start appreciating things different. And, um, you know, and you realize your kids, they don't care what your ratings are. You no. know, they, they, they want to see you around. They want you at that ball practice. They want to, go camping on a Friday night, you know, they, they want to do those things. And so I, I've learned a lot and um, I don't know, I feel like right now I've never been more excited to be where I'm at because I feel very convicted about all things outdoors to promote it. Um, you know, we've seen in this COVID nightmare, the last really been completely over is, um, you know, you know, for us outdoors, what it's meant, you know, and it's, and to be honest, you know, not to be, not empathetic to those who did really hit, get hit hard when it comes to emotional and physical part of being kind of cooped up for people like you and I, we just hit the water, you know, right. we hit the woods, you know, we, we yeah, social we, distance. We, we, we've been social distancing <laughs> for a long time. Like you don't get too close. I don't exactly. I don't even want you over here. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody. All those grouper plays come in handy last spring, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, wow. And, and, and so, yeah, if, if we don't have no chicken, well, we just kill one of ours. We got them here on the farm. You know, you get an extra tomato. You, you don't give us way. Well, we still gave away a ton, but we had a garden. It was just, it kind of put us back into what we wanted to do. But 
I know that was a long answer to that question, but overall, I, I think I'm still learning, but that has been the trick uh, to an outdoor career. Cause I think a lot of people don't realize it, but it's uh, it's very similar to a professional athlete to where um, you, you definitely have to balance and it becomes tough because it, it, it takes a toll on your family because 90% of what you do that's on television and are in representing. And when you're handling business, um, typically you're out of town, yeah. you're going places, you're going to sales meetings, you're going to marketing meetings, you're out of town, you know, and doing a hunting show and you're gone seven to 10 days to get one episode. And so right. it becomes pretty, uh, pretty stressful as far as the time, certainly not looking for sympathy because our work is a lot of fun. Um, and, and there's no stress in the work. The only stress is like, man, I wish I was home. You know, my, my wife's battery is dead. Right. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, that, having to call a friend. That, yeah. You having to call your father to fix something that typically as a man, you would be there to have. Yeah. That's definitely been one of the, one of the things that, that I've wrestled with the most. I, I guess my kids are a little older than yours. Probably I've got a 23, a 21 and a 17. And um, wow, I did get to do exactly what you're doing right now and, and, and back off a little bit to be able to coach. I was a hockey coach yeah. and a wrestling. I didn't know anything about hockey, you know, but they needed a parent that could do something. So I, I learned how to skate and went out there and, and, uh, you know, we're roller hockey in Key West. You wouldn't think that that would be something that they That's have in awesome. Key West, but they do. And I could <laughs> skate. I always said I could skate just good enough to really hurt myself badly. Um, because I could get going pretty fast and I could even go a little bit backwards, but man, it was I was teetering on the edge of a, of a wipeout all the time, but then that <laughs> wrestling coach and, and, and football coaching and soccer coaching and stuff like that, just, just to take that little bit of time uh, away from the, the fishing and the business and everything else and spend that with the kids. It was, it was really rewarding. And it was, it, it actually turned out to be something that, you know, it, it didn't feel like, man, I'd really like to be out there. It was like, no, this is exactly where I want to be. I want to be doing exactly this. And that's an interesting feeling. Like when you're doing, you kind of feel like maybe the turkey woods are pulling you in that direction, but you're like, this is where I need to be. I killed enough turkeys. I've, I've done, you know, yeah. enough of this kind of stuff. And right now this is where I need to be. And that's a, that's a cool place to be. It's, it's, it's nice to see you taking time like that because I mean, you've got so much going on, man. Like it's, it's just, it's just kind of cool. Um, one of the things that I was looking at, I, I would listen to a couple of your podcasts and I've been kind of going back over stuff and I've, I've watched you from a long time. I mean, I don't know how long you've been on TV, but I can, as long as I can remember, I've been watching you on, on TV and it's a cool story. And I don't want to go too far into your story because you told it so many different times, but you're basically discovered at a Turkey calling championship. And, uh, and then that leads to all this other stuff. You, you know, on your bio, it says, you know, you won this Turkey calling championship, you met Bill Jordan, and then you're, you're next thing you know, you're running cameras for all these different shows and you're doing all this stuff. So what, what that led me to kind of ask, because we talk about like how somebody can be a fishing guide, how somebody can be a hunting guide. And I talked to icons like a Bill Dance or a Roland Martin or somebody like that about their story and how they were, how they kind of came up and the challenges they had and stuff like that. And I, I kind of wanted to, to ask you about that because one of the things that you talk about a lot is you're, you're just a country kid from, from Booger Bottom. Like, I know that's not what you are. I mean, you're a lot more than that, but you, you, I mean, it says right on your website, the man from Booger Bottom. 
And, but there had to be a day where you were the kid from, from Booger Bottom that hadn't seen a lot. And now you're going out and you're, you're, you're a star, dude. You are the, you are the biggest star in the hunting industry, in my opinion. And I went to some of those shows where there was a line out the door to see you. And I'm just like, how was that? For, for a kid from Booger Bottom to all of a sudden have that. And I don't know when in your career it, it exploded like that, but what was that like for you? Did you ever struggle with that? I did in some areas. I did. I, I think overall the world is humbled. Um, you know, when, when things really took off, Tom, it, you know how you, you hear somebody, sometimes people say, oh, man, that dude went and got famous and become a jerk, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> for me, I think it was 100% the exact opposite. Um, I was so humbled by it. And, and as you talk about Booger Bottom, like, it's funny because, you know, that that is, you know, a lot of times people see that. It's like, oh, man, that, that's that's just marketing. However, that is where I came from. But at this point, you know, obviously my family and my dad and and a lot of my family still live in Booger Bottom. And of course, that's where I love, learn to hunt and fish. That's where I learned about life. Obviously, it's where you, you know, you go parking in high school and you're first, <laughs> first trying to figure out if you got four wheel drive on a truck. You know, that's where you, that's where you, you know, go, go find a, a you know, a six pack of Natty Lights or a bottle of Boone's Farm wine back in the day. It, it was so many things. It, it was where you, you know, heard a turkey gobble from the side of the road or a little creek that you went fishing in and a little pond that you would slip in to go try to catch a bass or, you know, a mess of bluegill. And so, so with that, for me, I think why Booger Bottom and, and the, the country boy thing means so much to me, it always, no matter where I'm at, it reminds me of where I'm at. Because I think one of the most important things about when you get into, if you want to call it showbiz, I mean, I, I don't consider outdoor hunting and fishing showbiz, but when you have people this, this lined up that do want to meet you, that do want to shake your hand, possibly get you to sign a hat or show you a, a fish or a deer or a turkey or an elk or show you trail cam pictures, man, that is an ultimate, ultimate, uh, you have to show ultimate respect to that because I too had heroes and and I remember being very nervous of meeting some of these people because I didn't know if they were going to be what I expected them to be, if they were going to be, you know, a jerk. And so what happened with me, Tom, I think deep down, I'm pretty philosophical. I didn't know that until I've gotten a little older. But even then, I, I noticed that the hunting industry and even the fishing industry was kind of odd to where when the cameras are off, I always saw a different side of people that I seem to like more. <laughs> and then all, then at times I saw sides of people that I liked a lot less. And so as a kid, and I got a chance to be thrown into this, literally at 17, 18 years of age, guiding and taking people hunting and going to these big, you know, promotions with Bill Jordan back in the day and learning about business and stuff. I, I remember, um, the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Even being more proud of kind of where I come from. And I quickly become very confident about my ability, at least on the hunting and you know fishing side of things, because I realized that, wow, my dad and where I grew up, we are we are legit. We understand, you know, every tree out there. We understand firewood. We understand how to grow the best tomatoes. We understand how to treat turkeys at a pretty high level. We understand, you know, you know how to kind of figure out how to get on a deer for food and maybe try to kill a big mature Georgia, you know, southern buck. And so I started realizing that I started gaining my confidence and my ability as a as a hunter, but I hadn't yet crossed that barrier of of, of being proud of being the guy that mispronounced words, being a guy that was a solid D student that, you know, never has figured out what chemistry is and calculus. And, and, and I struggled and I realized that I wasn't a good student. I realized that I hadn't been to any colleges except for a freaking party. And, and um, <laughs> I had never been to school. So I was very kind of like, you know, intimidated around these big meetings. And I felt like the dumb redneck. So somewhere in that time, you know, like I said, I think what the question you ask is very, very solid and philosophical in the fact that for me, I was very insecure at first about the booger bottom, Mm -hmm. about being the dumb redneck. And so I think what I did is I just kind of started realizing and gaining more confidence that I was, I was decently smart uh, when it comes to gut instinct. I wasn't, I didn't know what EBITDA was in in business. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, what margins meant. And I didn't, understand that you could sell $2 million worth of product and still lose a million. I didn't understand all these things. I didn't understand that when you walked into a meeting at Walmart, you might only have 10 minutes to present for your partners. I was just kind of this ultimate bullshitter of high-fiving and <laughs> ready to talk about family, friends, and where a turkey was gobbling. So I, I was at first kind of quiet and reserved and didn't want to open my mouth because I would have probably said something dumb, in my opinion. You know, uh, when everybody else was saying, what a nice harvest, I was saying, man, I just gave him a parking ticket. He fell over there dead. He's on the road to glory. Well, I wasn't trying to come up with these things. These are just the way I acted with my best friends and my buddies and my cousins as we hunted. And so I started realizing that that on these shows and these TV shows and even these seminars, that really all I had to do was be myself because myself was 98% of the audience. So, so I I think for me, it made me more humble to realize that it's not even me. This is our world. This is these people. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. And so when I started finally coming to my heart and soul, that it wasn't a Michael Waddell thing, that this was a cultural thing. Then I think I ultimately got very proud and I become very careful, but I also become very quick to fight for the culture that meant so much to you and I. So I, I think that's the synopsis of, of me and the kid from Booger Bottom. And, 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 and you're right. I, I think I'm now proudly can be the dumb redneck in the room, but in reality, I can take in a lot more at these meetings and different places and people realize, but I can sit back and I can speak. And based on the situation, I can, I can kind of uh, let people kind of show their cards. And then my cards already been shown because Everything about my life is pretty much documented. Yeah. And um, so it become it becomes a uh, I feel like an asset to, to myself, but it also becomes an asset to those men and women that that talk and act like you and I 
that that um, that have families that but at the same time we we understand you know uh you know the the fishing and hunting aspect and 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 it, it becomes a it, it, i don't know it made, it made me very proud i think it humbled me and made me very proud of where i came from and that that's why i still always remind myself that i'm from booger bottom yeah. and last but not least it reminds me every day of the american dream if 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 i can make a solid living inevitably you know talking about hunting and fishing talking about you know the the way we feel about culture and the way we feel about in some cases politics which i don't really like politics but it, it reminds me if i can do that and not have a college education barely graduate high school you know grew up playing sports you know baseball football you know chasing girls that the all-american story that typically should have turned into me, you know, working construction or hanging sheetrock, which I'd have been very proud to do. But if I can turn something that's a passion that I become decent at and make it a, a, a solid livelihood, then that's the true American dream. And you don't hear about that in Turkmenistan. You don't hear about that even in really France at high level. And so I, I, it makes me proud of America. It makes me proud. But in one way, it also makes me a little less, you know, sympathize with these people who cry victim because i know that somebody everybody's great at something you just mm -hmm. got to work hard and again getting back to this family thing you know you do sacrifice a lot in those early years because you are just completely focused you don't have all this worried about what's going on saturday and sunday every day is just another day to move the needle for something or somebody and then inevitably if you're doing the right thing for somebody else in an industry it, it usually circles back around to you and yeah. so uh so that's my that's my story of really just kind of how I feel about how I got started. Well, it's just been an extremely good blessing. It is it is an American dream. I mean, really, like I mean, you, you're 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 just going to these turkey calling championships, and 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 I saw where your dad was taking you around to all these different ones, and yeah. and then there is this discovery, almost like in music, like somebody saw you and says that kid's got something right there. And let's see what we can do with him. But there's something on your side that you have to do where these opportunities present themselves to you. And I mean, like, it's, it's like, you know, you hear about this with music or, or your story or whatever. And people are like, ah, he just met the right person at the right time. But it's more than that, because you have to actually jump on these opportunities. Hey, you want to run camera for so-and-so? Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about running camera. You know, I, I don't know what your what your situation was with that, but what I know is that it's way more than luck and it's way more than than just being in the right place at the right time. There might be that one spark of that, but then you've got to take advantage of all these opportunities and then you have to create new opportunities. And and did you ever have some some doubts about that? Like, man, they're asking me to go on a sheep hunt. I, I don't never been out there. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I did. I, I think I think most of the hunting stuff I had pretty solid security um, and feeling like I could figure out a way to to find success. Like, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in Georgia, chasing these old hard headed turkeys, just, you know, you, you growing up in Tennessee right there. And mm -hmm. obviously most of our turkeys down south and all of them have judged the great American redneck yup off you know, <laughs> before before April 30th. You know, yeah. so so obviously I felt like, you know, some of the things matched up to, to what I felt comfortable hunting. But, yeah, I was very I was very intimidated. I think the biggest thing I was intimidated Tom was not as much the ability say to go on a sheep hunt um, or, or maybe what it'd be like to go to Africa mm. and hunt a Cape Buffalo with a bow. I felt pretty confident. 
I think it got gets back to the early stage. I was insecure about who I was. I caught myself wanting to clean up and take away, you know, whether it was a Southern accent or the slang words or, or, or acting like this crazy old goofy man child that I really was. <laughs> I, caught, yeah, I caught myself and, you, you know, you was part of that too on those early ESPN. And then, then obviously uh, at the time when I started working at Realtree, we were on TNN and, TNN, you know, people dude. forget that was a huge no, network. That was we, the biggest, really, dude. Yeah. That was the biggest ever. That was my introduction to television. I was on Shaw Grigsby's show. Uh, he was on, yes. he had one more cast on TNN, and that was the first television show I was ever on. And man, I mean, when I say that the phone didn't stop ringing for months, yes. it didn't. I mean, it was amazing. There were millions of people watching. And one episode. Yeah. Like it I said, was, we, we, it doesn't exist today. You know, it's all about, you know, a cumulative watch now. But back then, you know, I remember Realtree Outdoors and Shaw's show. I think Hank Parker had some stuff. Yeah. Mossy Oak had Hunt in the Country. Um, um, Mark Sosi, I think. Yeah. Uh, he was more on ESPN. But but anyway, I, I remember like after a NASCAR race, Realtree Outdoors would come on and we would have millions. I yes. mean, like I, I remember five or six million people be watching one episode at once. And that was huge in the outdoor space. And so I remember thinking and having this, you know, top of mind that, Oh my God. First of all, I'm, I'm editing and producing. Now go back to that. I, I didn't know anything <laughs> about TV. I, I was just, just, I think I, I remember the AB role editor, the editing and, and having these big beta cams and, you wouldn't hold that thing open with it. You wouldn't hold a door open with that thing today. It cost a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I know you're in, I know you're in the fitness time. Look, if, if we were all camera guys back in, you know, between let's say 88, yeah. And, and ninety in two thousand, we were all in shape. Yeah. If we there was were running a, a camera, there was a sixty because, pound yeah. camera on your shoulder. Oh, dude! I mean, you, you were freaking real. Yes. And, and then you had those big Benton or Cycler sticks. You know that those things wore weighed forty pounds yeah. each. I bet. And and then those big bricks. So anyway, with that said, I didn't know how to run all this stuff. And then to find out that this camera setup cost as much or more than my house. Yes. And so, I, <laughs> and then I'm editing this stuff. So I think I was uh, at that beginning part of that. My insecurity came from, wait a minute, man, I, I would like to spin it to more booger bottom. You know what I mean? I wanted to spin it to where, not spin it, but I felt like that, that, you know, the outdoor space was missing some of the biggest entertaining characters. Man, you know, like I said, you grew up guiding all these fishermen and then you meet a lot of these guides or are mm -hmm. these just people that, that live in the woods or live on the water and dude, they are characters and the yeah. people that, come hunting our characters they're on vacation they're crazy guys from the northeast new york pennsylvania crazy old southern rednecks from south alabama and so you sit around them guys and you never <laughs> quit laughing there's jokes out the wazoo and so i thought man this is this is kind of what the industry is trying to cover up and i'm thinking i want to expose it because it, it was to me it was duck dynasty before duck dynasty right. and so uh anyway i think i was insecure about that but once i found that wait a minute we're missing the best elements of it. I, I think that's where it, it, I was, it came clean for me and I was real insecure. I remember the first seminar I did like, man, what do I talk about? I mean, or how do I talk? I remember writing everything down on this paper, trying to bullet point out how to give this seminar. And I remember completely just trying to go off this outline and it completely, I was failing so bad time. I remember thinking, okay, I just got to go back to bullshitters mall, uh, bullshitters ball roll. You know, they're just, a, just having fun and bullcrapping my way through it and cutting a few jokes. And then quickly people started laughing and, 
you know, and I remember early on saying, you know, people ask me a question about, you know, what's this, this, and what's the best brace height on the bow and what's the mechanics of this. And I'm like, man, I don't have a clue. You know, and they're looking at me like I'm supposed to be this professional. I'm like, man, I don't know. And I remember immediately those type things are where I started grabbing my security, but I was insecure, not as much to hunt. I was insecure. I think representing what I considered this hunting space. And then I started realizing that, man, I, I can do this. It's not because it's anything special in me. It's because I am the space, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, and it worked, man. It's funny because one of the things that I've talked about a number of times is that the that if you stay with something long enough, the thing that you think is your biggest weakness will turn out to be your greatest strength. And and like your story is very similar to that. Like you, you're, you're getting 100%. in, you're thinking, Oh man, I'm just this kid from Booger Bottom. I don't know. But then yeah. once you, once you get enough experience to realize all the things that you just told me, like that's your greatest strength that somebody that's not from there, somebody that doesn't have that could net, they would always be perceived as fake. They would always be perceived as, as a poser or whatever, that that's not who that person really is. And that turns out to be the greatest strength that that you had. Of course, you've got lots of other strengths. I mean, you, you played, play down like, you know, you, you, you did, you barely graduated high school, but man, I mean, you're, you're just, even in just what you're saying, like you jumped at the chance to, to edit, you know how to edit, mm-hmm. but you, somebody gave you the opportunity and that's what I'm getting yeah. at is like, is like this road to success. Maybe there's some opportunities there, but you actually have to take advantage of those opportunities and get yourself yes. in a position to where you're very uncomfortable. I'm sure. I know I did yes. of, of somebody gives you a chance and you're like, man, but I don't know anything. And it would have been real easy just to say, nah, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hunting this Saturday. I don't think I can, I don't think I can help you edit that show. I'm, I'm going to be out here and that opportunity goes and somebody else takes it and, and takes off. Somebody will step up to the plate and, and, and Tom, you're, what you're saying is so spot on because you're exactly right. And, and one reason I was excited to come on your podcast, because we, we do have a similar story and, mm-hmm. and, you know, coming from the South, you know, obviously you, you, you getting out West and starting a guide and, and even guiding, like my first job at Realtree was guiding. People don't realize everybody said, man, be awesome, be an outfitter, be a guide or be a fishing guy. The ultimate responsibility of that, especially if you're competitive is, is man, it, it will completely wash you mentally. You'll be so exhausted before you even physically get to it because you got to think about everything. And if you take pride in something, which, which I certainly do, I know you do, you got to think about, okay, man, you, you feel like you're confident. You feel like you can catch them. You feel like you can kill them or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you got somebody pays you money right. and says, put me on them. Right. They sit back, crack open a Gatorade. Now you got to think about safety. Where's, you know, man, am I going to be able to even get bait fish to freaking go right. fishing? You know, yes. where are they going to be? And then all of a sudden is my motor, is my equipment running right? You know, it, it, can I get out weather. here? Does everybody have their license? Man, I, my wife, we did renew my guide license. I mean, right. so it, all these things, now you still got to have success. And guess what? You might be on a hot spot. And then you get out there, the guys are catching them. They're missing every other fish or, you know, or, or, or setting happens, hook wrong. Man. And then they're like, well, put me on some more. And like, no, that was the pocket. <laughs> that was it. You were supposed to be, <laughs> that was your half a day, homie. That that's over. And, I, and so, so that part of it alone, you can intimidate yourself out of even starting. And I will say, and if there's anybody that listens to this, man, you got to put your pride in your ego 
into into y- y- your heart and soul because a lot of times on the outside we come across like oh man I could catch him I could kill him but then you're given the chance are you given the chance to walk in and people say well go tell your story stand up in front of this crowd and tell your right. story how you feel about outdoors and they're like no man I don't want none of that well they'll get around the cooler and complain and holler and spit and talk about this they'll get on social media and tell you everything that they know about public hunting or yeah that might must be easy catching them bass in that pond go here and catch well, they won't do nothing if they're given the chance. Give them the opportunity. A lot of times they lock up and freeze up because right. ultimately people are afraid of failure. And so for me, failure has always been a driving, the biggest driver for me because I don't want to fail. If somebody wants me to take them turkey hunting, I don't consider it turkey hunting. I consider my job is make sure this guy kills a turkey mm-hmm. or at least an opportunity. Right. Because if I don't get that, I feel like I fail. Inevitably, that's not the case. It is about the day and the fun and the adventure and getting yeah, on a turkey. I mean, could, like you and, yeah. and me and a lot of people that make a living at this, they realize that this isn't a nature tour. Like a lot of people just no. take you on a nature tour. Yeah, we're going hunting. Hunting, you know, if you kill something, that's going to be a, a, a plus. No, you're expecting to kill something. You're expecting to catch something. You're expecting anybody can go out there and catch them themselves. Anybody can go out there and, and kill the turkey yeah. yourself. But it's when you got somebody that can barely walk and you have to now think about, man, if it was me, I'd just go right over here. But we can't do that today. So yeah. how are we going yeah. to do this? And there's this whole creative thinking. And then you take guiding into being like an art form. Like it really does become that way. Like you become so creative. And then you become so much better at the activity, whether that's turkey hunting, elk hunting, tarpon fishing, bone fishing, whatever it is. Now you have somebody that has limited skill compared to you. Maybe they're okay, but let's, let's say you can cast 100 feet with a fly rod, and this guy gets on your boat, and he can cast 30. Yeah. Well, you still got to get him a fish. And now yes. it's like I see that say, the same thing, and I'm sure you do too, with, as it comes to filming these things. Because you're yes. like, okay, it's going to be great. I've got these turkeys wired. And the guy says, well, we can't shoot into the sun. What do you – we – they're going to come this way? No, they can't come this way. It's going to be terrible. We're going to, I won't even be able to frame the shot right. You're like, yeah, buddy, <laughs> what do you, I mean, we've yeah. had them say that to, we've had our camera people say that. And, and we're like, so you want me to pole around this school of fish and try to catch one the other way? Like this usually lasts like two seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this lasts <laughs> yeah, two I seconds and now I have to, okay, I guess we're going to try to do that. And somehow, it works sometimes. And you almost learn from it. Like you we'll learn. never do this. And you're like, wait a minute. I've been overthinking this. Yeah. yeah I've you done it learn. a million times in the wildlife stuff. God. I know, cool. but you learn so much and it makes you, it makes you so much better. It's uh, it's fun. It like, does. It, I, I do think it does. I mean, it does because you're, you're putting these challenges. As a matter of fact, you know, Tom and I want to, you know, get your take on this, but, um, I tell you something else I learned too about the outdoor space and doing what I've done. You know, I, you know, like I said, I didn't go to college and and I remember my dad was one of the only people that was a hundred percent far when I was 17, 18, like, all right, you ain't going to school, you know, well, if you're going to be helping out Bill Jordan guiding, well, ride that out and get after it. That's a pretty Mm -hmm. cool opportunity. But my dad was a a very big avid outdoorsman and Mm -hmm. he, he loved Realtree and the Mossy Oak. And he was a fan of a lot of these companies I was having a chance to work with early on. 
but overall, I would say my family, which is all country as a chicken coop, <laughs> they were discouraging of it. They were like, well, Michael, you can't make a, a living hunting. This is ridiculous. This, you done gone crazy. Man, you need, you know, I had went to heating and air school, so I had gotten a degree in air conditioning technology, and I had just gotten a job as well just out of high school um, being a serviceman, like a serviceman for heating and air, installing air conditioners. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. Well, my grandma and my uncle were devastated. Like, you got a van. You got a suit with your name on it. I'm, I know, but I don't, I'm not fulfilled. I'm, I'm completely fine. I'll do this the rest of my life. But I'm also 17, 18, 19 years of age. I, I think I should try this. I'm sitting here trying to talk adults who love me into pushing them to realize that I think I should try this opportunity. No different than the kid who wants to go to Nashville to be a singer right. or the, or the kid right. like you that went from Chattanooga. Said, right. I think I'm going to start guiding fish out West. I, yeah. you, know, you ain't fished those rivers out West Never. outside of just for a hobby. Yeah. Never. But like now I'm going to go out here and start guiding. Right. right. Okay. And so, so I was kind of in the same boat. And so I realize now that I look back and it saddens me. And that's one reason I'm glad we're talking about this stuff. If there's a man or woman listening or watching this podcast and you've always wanted to do something, go for it. But go for it with everything in you and have the confidence that you can be great in it. Because the reason I say that, I started realizing that a lot of my friends and even my family, they are just living this slow, conservative, safe route to death. And that's pretty bold of me to say that. But it, it, it... they're not taking any chances. And I have learned that you do fail a lot, but, but if you keep getting back up and swinging, you succeed. And so with this in America, there's so many ways. I mean, there's gotta be a Jay-Z. There's gotta be a Beyonce. There's gotta be a Tom Rowland. There's gotta be a Michael Jordan. There's gotta be a Chuck Adams. There's gotta be a Dale Earnhardt who, who in some of these areas that we have a chance to play in could think that they would be a livelihood. I'm not saying that's easy, but it's not it's not wrong for Americans or anybody or human being to go after being into this 10 percent or 20 percent. And I think what happens is most of the people who love us the most, I catch myself as a parent now doing it. We try to push into this safe zone of this 80, 90 percent of making a livelihood, you know, working at a high rise or being in the agency rather than to push to own the agency. And so. In a deep way, I think that's the problem with America. Now we get into the point where people don't even want to work. They just want to sit at home and just get something given to them. And so uh, I think the American dream is still alive, but it's only alive if you dream and you have the the balls. Of, I know that I guess I can say it on this yeah. podcast to just go get after it, yeah. to go get after it. And if you fail, you can still jump back into that 80 percentile. Well, you, you can, can still You can, can. but you're crazy to think that you're going to do anything, whether you're living the most conservative, slow walk to death, like you, like you said, I may have said it a little differently, but whether you're doing that or whether you're trying to be a, a, the next big country music star or the next Michael Waddell, whatever it is, you're going to fail. You're going to fail conservatively or you're going to fail swinging for the fence. It's how you act, how you react to that failure and whether you learn and, from those mistakes and move on or whether you yes. fail and go, man, well, that wasn't for me anyway, and go back. Like, that's the difference. And like, we talk about these things on this podcast all the time because I'm so fascinated with, with these moments in people's career, whether that's like, like I said, Bill Dance or Roland Martin or Jimmy Houston, all of them have had this to where they get to this point in their career. And I know I did to where it's like, do I really go for it here? 
or do yeah. I just kind of not, you know? And, and it's like, yeah. it would be easy to not do it. And I mean, it would be easy to do it, but it would be easier not to do it. And then you, you have this burn the boat moment to where you just jump and you just say, yes. man, I'm going to do this. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best at it that I can possibly be. And if I fail, I'm going to have no regrets. And I think that living yes. that way is powerful. And I can tell that you've done that yeah. in your career. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you because, because you've obviously done that. And I'm trying, I was trying to get to that moment of like, you know, like you said, you have a fear of failure, but there's also such thing as a fear of success where all your friends are like, yes. Oh, Hollywood, look who's here, you know? And man, hey, man. that, that, that Preach kills people, man, yeah. that kills yeah. people. It sucks the mo motivation right out of them. And they're like, man, I thought, I thought this big yeah. break, I thought I won this big tournament and that was going to be great. But all my friends are like, they don't want to be around me anymore. And, and coming to oh, grips with that, yeah, yes. coming to yeah. grips with that and moving forward and past that, that's hard. That really is, man. Brother, it's yeah. hard. You, you, you speak in my story now because that, that <laughs> sounds that like we is. got we similar, got really same. similar story, right? man. It's, really. It's, it's funny. similar. And, and, I just and wish Tom, I had made it as big as Michael Waddell. <laughs> no, man, you have. I say like, I can't wait to talk about some of the things. I mean, even the waypoint. I mean, my God, I was I, so I'm so uh, proud of of what y'all are doing and and where this thing can go. I mean, I know we still got to talk about that, but I. But as you're saying, did you find this, Tom? And, and it's it's ironic. You're talking about people that I admire, like the Bill Dance, the Roland Martins, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, you, you don't even realize that all those guys and i talk about people in the hunting industry and i become friends with a lot of people you know uh not, you know without having a name drop but like the blake sheltons and mm -hmm. like the you know red akins and all these guys man we've been friends a long time and i can't tell you they, they've all been in a place in their career where it was kind of over or, or or you know call it depression that that's kind of a, a big kind of maybe maybe not fair to say that but you get into a place to where i'm going for it i'm either gonna sink or i'm gonna swim and it seems like, Tom, is that where it seemed like always something turned for you? It seems biggest? like it. I mean, it doesn't yeah. happen right away. It's not like you say, oh, I'm going for it. And then tomorrow you're like, I sure I'm glad I did. No, it's like yeah. a couple of years from there. You know, you always hear the the, the expression, he's an overnight success, 20 years in the making. And that's that's <laughs> how it happens. You know, it's like it's like all of a sudden people are like, where'd this guy come from? Man, wow. And then you dig into it a little bit and it's like, oh, well, he's been doing this for 30 years. Like, you know, whether it's the big country star or the rock and roll star or the whatever, a lot of them like – they've been doing this for a long time. They've been like, there's a book I like called chop wood, carry water. And that's what it's about. It's like every day you chop wood, you carry water, you do the basics and you keep going no matter what you keep going and keep trying and keep going. And sooner or later, things are going to start happening, but it does seem like you can get to a point to where you decide, mm, I think that's too risky or, or, or I'm, I'm just, that's just not for me. And, and it is that moment. That is either the, it's going to take you where you want to go or, or, or not your choice. Yeah. And sometimes it's sometimes, Hey, sometimes it's a good choice to go back the other way for some people, but I agree. Not if it, that's what, I, I, not if you got a burning desire in your heart to make it as a professional hunter like you or a professional absolutely. fisherman like me, it's like you, you got to go. 
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. And it's, it's not easy. And, and like I said, sometimes, you, you know, sometimes you, you definitely, it's, you know, I'm always talking sports analogies because I understand sports and, and always grew up playing it. And obviously sports give you a certain mental and physical toughness that help you kind of make some of this stuff e easy mm -hmm. when it comes to business and figuring out how to make decisions. But, um, you know, sometimes you do, you swing for a single, you know, that man, if I can get enough singles, like, like you said, the chop wood carry water. And then there's times to where like, look, I, it's time. I, I'm I'm waiting for the fastball down the middle and hell with it. I'm going to freaking hit it up into the upper deck. And, and it's funny because even looking back on my career, you know, there was two pivotal times that I remember Tom, and I've never really even said this. I was completely ready to be done with it all. And, and from a public standpoint, people might've thought that man, Waddell's rocking, man, he's, he's at the top of his game, but one was coming off real tree road trips, you know, coming off a of full-time employment at real tree and trying to sort this out and kind of somewhat figure out my path and Realtree didn't know what to do and didn't know how to really reward, reward me. And they didn't know how to let me take advantage of some of these opportunities. So I was in the process of kind of having to leave. And, and, uh, but I remember being so depressed and kind of disgusted. I was going through a really tough time. I wasn't seeing my kids. I was killing everything. I, I was not making any money. You know, I was not making good money because I was just working as a full-time guy but I was working every weekend at every Bass Pro Shops, every Cabela's, every Gander Mountain, every store out there. I was going to promotions for, you know, um, Outdoor Channel. I was going promotions, you know, for all these companies. And and really, at the end of it, all I had was some, you know, new boots and a new bow and, um, and no money. And my marriage had failed. And my kids are like, and your name is Daddy. And I remember thinking, bullshit, I'm, I'm done. I'm over. I'm over this. I'm either going to figure out a way to handle some of these situations and at that time, I would say selfishly, I was thinking, I'm either going to make some money at this or I'm, I'm going back and going to work in construction with my dad. Mm -hmm. So I was I was I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going to go big hard. And if it don't make it, then I'm completely fine. And I can say that my life's been good. And then soon after I did that quickly, man, we found great success, both financially and being independent. And then um, you know, I went through some tough business times. But then soon after that. I go through a, a very bad divorce. And, um, and I remember once again, I was in a place in my life, you know, personally, as it, you know, I was thinking, nope, I'm going to make these changes in my life. And, and, and it's going to take me into where I need to be. And, and if it don't, and, and I have to leave this behind, I will. And Holy cow, it, it turned into something great. And so with that, I, I've just learned that that is part of being a man or a woman. And you, you just learned that, you can let the fear of failure drive you, but you also can learn to live with failure knowing that you at least did try. And I think the biggest nightmare I would have, if I look back, my biggest regret would be I didn't change anything and I didn't go for anything. That would be more depressing than to fail, than to not have at least tried to get up to the plate. For yeah, sure. I'm with you. I'm with you a hundred percent. Like that, 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 that fear uh, I, and there's a fear for me of, of, of living with regret these days. And as I get yeah. a little bit older too, I realize, I see it with people. They're like, man, I could have done something like that. And you think, man, that would be, that would be a rough way to wake up every morning. Like knowing that you could have, but you didn't. 
and then living yeah. for the rest of your life like just just saying that all the time like I could have done that like like in Napoleon Dynamite like man if the coach had put me in there I'd have thrown that football over that's that right. mountain you know <laughs> we'd have won the state right. for sure you know <laughs> it's like, like like that guy he's living with that all the time and and yeah. that's the advice that I give to people too because for whatever reason I guess people I'm sure a lot of people ask you the advice too like how did you do this what did wh- what would you tell me to do and it's like man just go for it go for it and Just go for it. Especially I'm if you're young, in. man. If you're young, what's the worst that's going to happen? You decide it, it, I, it's yeah. not for me or you decide, well, I thought it was going to be a little bit better or whatever. But I know I do know people that came to the Florida Keys and they tried guiding for a while and they might have guided for four or five years and then they leave. Yeah. And they're yeah. fine with it. They're leaving on their own yes. terms. They've they decided that, you know what, this was great. I went for it. I I competed with what I see are the best fishing guides on the planet. And I was one of them. And I did this. Yep. And now I'm going to go yep. back and I'm going to work with my dad. And I'm going to be happy with it. Or I'm going to go back and I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to go set up my business over here. Because I don't want to be that guy that's, you know. Yeah. 60 and, and, and having a hard time right now because they didn't save any money and they just are guiding on the day to day. And I'm sure you see that in the hunting industry too. It's like, you know, there needs to be kind of a plan here of what happens when your body starts to fail you. Because like you say, it's like being a professional athlete very much. So, I mean, you're, you are active and moving and if you can't move, hmm, it's going to be tough. I mean, not, not impossible. I know a I know a great fishing right. guy that's in a wheelchair. He's a he's a great fishing guy, man. He uh he he does a great and he he doesn't move very well, but he's figured out a way to to do it. So I don't know. It just seems like living with regret. That's the that's the fear that I have the most of. I think is just knowing that it was there I, for you, but I'm you just way. didn't do it, man. You just and I'm the same way, and I and I see that, and I think even when I uh, have a chance to go to these hunting shows and you know, he's fishing and hunting expos. Um, man, I always, man, I'm, I just about man hug every dude that comes <laughs> by and, and, and every, every woman, because I, I get a lot of the stories and, and I meet people that they, I mean, Tom, you know, you understand some of these guys are amazing, insane, uncanny ability to maybe catch fish or they got something dialed in. Maybe it's over on Lake Ufall they live close to, or maybe it's the turkeys in this public ground in Alabama, and they just are freaking, mm-hmm. I mean, unbelievable. But I can talk to them just in five or ten minutes, and you can feel this regret. And there's this fine line between me that they love and hate. Like, they they love that that I'm kind of them and I'm doing this. But then like, yeah, I bet you're making a bunch of money, man. What's so-and-so paying you? How many bows you get? And you can tell that they hate that part of it, but they admire that part of it. But what they're really saying is they're kind of aggravated because what they love me about is they really see us as equals. They don't see me as ahead of them or I'm a mm-hmm. better hunter or fisherman. They, they see is like, damn it. What else you did it? I'm still over here trying to figure out how to scrap up a living at this this wood mill. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Nothing. Right. But you can feel this regret. And so for me, man, I hug him dudes like freaking my young. He's like, hey, bro, it ain't too late. Right. You're still the best in your area. You represent. And and I don't know how many bone collector hats I've given away. Like you, you, you part of my family. And because there is no difference between me and you. The only difference is here it is. You're now 57 years old and you didn't go for it because 
you were, t- but we're taught not to go for it. Yes. I mean, we, we are. And so it's not their fault or it's not. And, and luckily, you know, uh, you know, like your parents, maybe, maybe they encourage you. I don't know that part of your story. Do they encourage or discourage? But, you know, my dad was pretty encouraging, but you know, what was encouraging about my dad, my dad didn't care. Truly. He, he was going to be proud of me, but what he made sure I knew that when I got out of high school, if you ain't going to go to school, but you ain't staying here. Right. You know, and if, yeah. you, and if you stay here, holy cow, I don't know. It, I don't know that I'd have ever had worked any harder building a railroad than staying. If I'd have lived with my dad after high school, because <laughs> I can tell you right now, I would have weed eaten. I would have went to work with him. And constru- I don't even if it have paid me because I'd have had to pay for rent. Right. I, but he was hard. And he was like, I don't give a damn what you do, but you're going to work. You're getting out of here. I've raised you for 18 years and you've ate, you eat a lot of biscuits, boy. And, and you eat a lot of groceries. I'm ready for you to be out of here and come back to my house. Yeah. You know what? And when you get 21, you bring over three or four beers for me and you, and, and you bring your own steak. Right. I mean, that was, and so I, inevitably I knew that I was going to have to do something. It didn't have, I could have been 10, 15, $20,000 a year living in a trailer. And my dad would have been just as proud and happy. Sure. But it, it and so so I think that in a weird way, that was the encouragement my dad gave me. He's like, I don't care what you do, but get out. You know, hey, this this ain't hey, you know. Yeah. Well, my dad gave me my dad nothing. <laughs> he gave me some similar advice, but his his advice was more like, um, I'd never met a fishing guide. Uh I don't know that that's a way that you can make a living, but obviously yeah. you you have figured out you've met some people and that's a way to do it. So if you're going to do this, you're going to need to be really good at it. Like yeah. you give it everything you got, but, and, and, you know, he, he was always, um, very supportive, you know, to his credit, he was a little bit kind of wary of the whole thing. Like, hmm, I don't yeah. know, man, it seems too good to be true. Like you're just out there f- fishing. And I'm like, dad, come out here and see what I do. And so he'd go out well, there and we'd he'd get up real early in the morning and I'd get that boat ready and we'd go all day floating down the stream. Yeah. And, and he, he would be like, now, okay, I see, I see, yeah. I see what you're doing. Like, this is, this is pretty nice. And then he'd send his friends out there and his, his friends would pay me like as a, as a guy and they come back and they, you won't believe what he's doing out there. It's just so awesome. <laughs> it's the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. And we had the best time. And you know what? He's really good at that. Like what he's doing, he's really good at it. So, I mean, you hear that a few times and then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you're old enough to make your own decisions. But for me, like, That's awesome. and I don't know if it was the same way for you. It sounds like you had some other opportunities, but I mean, I did go to a, a good school, but I was probably bottom of the class, bottom of the class for yeah. sure. And um, I just couldn't imagine myself working. I, I don't know what I would be doing if I hadn't found fishing. I really don't because nothing was yeah. intriguing to me. Nothing was exciting yeah. to me. So a lot of people are like, man, you, 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 you know, you, you did, you made it or whatever. It's like, well, I didn't really have a choice because I wasn't going to be working in an office. So it was like either fishing or like some sort of manual labor. 
which is fine. I mean, yeah. I would have been fine yeah, me with too. it. Me too. My dad kept doing He That's what he would t- say when I was a kid. He's like, listen, if you don't make a, a, a B on that test, you're going to be digging ditches. And I was like, man, I, I think I might like digging ditches. I kind of like it. I mean, yeah. I'm good with a shovel. <laughs> and and I would probably <laughs> I be I would probably be a really good employee. <laughs> I don't really see what's wrong with digging ditches. And uh, it's better than sitting in that classroom. That's what I was thinking. Um, but anyway, he, my dad was very, uh, very, very <laughs> supportive. That, it was it was it was funny um so we like, gotta be brothers we gotta be brothers it I'm seems like it I'm i mean you. it really does it seems like it we, we certainly need to go fishing or hunting together um for it. sure so i have some uh i have some questions for you as we kind of draw to a draw to a close because i know you're a busy guy you don't you, you don't take uh too much i don't want to take too much of your time but i do want to compliment you on one thing i listened to your podcast uh a couple of them and, uh, dude, you're, you're really good with the podcast. And the reason I say that is because you're obviously a good conversationalist. And that probably comes from being at all these sports shows and being a, a hunting guide and just, you, you just carry on a good conversation. You're, you, you have a light humor and you're, you're just a fun guy to be around, but you, you bring that out on the podcast and your podcast with the undertaker was really good because he's, you know, like. You can't be from Chattanooga and not yeah. know who The Undertaker is either. Like right. You, you, can't say, you can't be from Booker Bottom and not know who The Undertaker is. So, I, you know, we had Georgia Championship Wrestling here, in, and, and there was a, uh, a place, the, the Memorial Auditorium, and every wrestler you've ever heard of came through the Memorial Auditorium. Now, I did not necessarily go to the Memorial Auditorium and sit ringside, but that was on every right. Saturday morning. And I watched professional wrestling and you'd see everybody come through there. And the undertaker was always an interesting guy. And now he's retired and he's been going on a lot of these other podcasts. And so when I see him, I'm like, Oh, cool. Like I'll listen to that. And I listen to him on Joe Rogan and I listen to him somewhere else too. And I'm interested in these stories because I think being a, a rodeo cowboy, a professional wrestler, and maybe a professional bass fisherman, those got to be like three of the toughest ways to make a living that there are. Oh. I mean, you're just getting the yeah. crap beat out of you in all three of those those sports. Call you, Say what you want about professional wrestling. It might be fake. You've sat next to The Undertaker. You want that guy jumping off a, the top no. rope and and pretending like he's going to land on you and maybe he misses a little bit like now your shoulders exactly. jacked up for three months. Right. Like, I mean, a, that wouldn't a quarter of him, a quarter of him land on you is like, most oh my gosh. yeah. <laughs> and now you got to drive yeah. to another place and you got to do it again, drive to another place yeah. and do it again. He's saying 270 days on the road. Anyway, you got some stories out of him that he hasn't told on the other podcasts. And you you had wow. this real natural way of, of, of communicating with him. And I could tell that you didn't really know him, but you were able to right. break through and get into this, this, this way of, I mean, you got, it sounded like you guys were old buddies, but you could also tell that you weren't like, but I just wanted no, to compliment exactly. you on that because you're, you should stick with the podcast, man. You're good at it. You're really good at well, it. And you. you're going to have the opportunity to get some really great guests and, and I think it's going to be a big thing for you. I really do. Do you like doing well, it? I, I appreciate it. I do enjoy doing it because like I said, my, my wife tells me I probably talk too much. I, <laughs> I get excited. And I think I feel like I talk more now than I ever did. I, I think a lot of it I attribute to being older. And, and until you have all these kind of pent up philosophical life lessons. And, and so I certainly don't feel like I know it all, but I've been around a lot of people and, um, and so with that, I think it's a good timing because 
you know, from different walks of life, you, you've run into a lot of different people and you got a heck of a Rolodex of people that fit into the narrative of, man, these people need to have their story told or they need to tell their stories of life lessons or their adventures of mischievous, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're right, exactly about The Undertaker. I was so pleased that he would come on the show because I was a huge fan of him, but I'm kind of like you. I was just more, I, I didn't know him, but I, I knew him as The Undertaker, but I knew nothing about him like right. I, I had to i had to find out his name was you know callaway mark yeah. callaway yeah. i didn't i didn't i didn't i just knew the undertaker and this kind of larger than life strange uh wrestling personality that that i remember you know wrestling and, and watching it right and was intrigued by it. but but again and then I, I wasn't one of those guys who watched every time it came on but i always liked what he did and so anyway you're right where most people if you're a huge fan of the undertaker you know every little story of it and you know well i don't know though because he was so he was so shadowy and and careful even on rogan he was talking about how he would go out dressed as the undertaker like he would go to dinner like dressed as the undertaker because he didn't want anybody to he didn't want to mess up his character like I saw the undertaker, but he was like wearing a suit. Like, no, that would have been horrible. Yeah. So he like for a lot of his career, like what he was talking about on that was he, he just didn't go out or if he did, he had to go out in character. I've often thought that that would be harder than what even you and I do, because in reality, once you, you know, even, even the the podcast that I did with him, um, you can certainly tell that he is really a, a smart, down to earth guy. Oh, yeah. Almost completely out of character for what I thought. Like I was I was listening to that firsthand, and I purposely um, didn't do a ton of research because I, I I wanted to get to know him as he was talking to me, and I was kind of blown away. I'm like, man, this dude this dude is deep. He's a mm-hmm. solid man. Like he, you know, I was shocked. He 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 was a Christian. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know that about. I mean, he you know he kind of had this witchcraft about him on the ring and so so you know it's funny me and you can you know or, or take a willie robertson with duck dynasty or phil robertson they can when they walk out you know kind of what you see is what you get yeah. you know I, I never have to go into this character he lived a life as a character now he's just now kind of escaping that character he's he will always be the undertaker but but you know he he's he's now confident that it ain't about just the marketing right you know and so uh you know, like even me, the man from Booger Bottom, well, I, re- I really am. It's right. the, it is a right. part of the marketing. It yeah, is but, a part but, of this. But that you don't you, have to go into character. Like, you no, don't have, you don't you don't have, have to go, go into character. character. Somebody say, man, I'm, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm at Waddell, and he was just like he is on TV. Yeah. Like, that's. It, 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 even, it, it's funny you said I had to go to a wedding this past Saturday. Tyler Jordan got married, and man, I, my wife had, man, she put me in my nicest suit. And bro, <laughs> I even had to, I had to look on line and get me the little you know pocket uh-huh. handkerchief and how to fold it <laughs> and bro i went in there and i had the best time and i had a few people at the wedding and come like what hell man you dressed up nice like so are you man and they're like but i was still the redneck in the in the suit trying to figure out you know could you keep going back and get Michelob ultra at the bar you know and so <laughs> it, it was just it was fun you know and, and i laughed and, and so uh i kind of enjoyed putting on the suit yeah you know, all these red now i don't want to put on i kind of enjoy it like man my wife's like my god you're handsome I'm like thank you baby she you know i tell you one like, of the funniest things i've ever seen was going to the uh going to the um 
when Bass Pro Shops opened the World Wildlife Museum and they had they had everybody there, every celebrity, every hunting, fishing celebrity you ever heard of, and everybody's dressed up, and they all chose to dress a little differently. You had the one guys that that pulled yep. out their suit that they hadn't worn in twenty years, and it, it's up to <laughs> it's up to here, and it won't button. And then you had other guys that they went all out. Man, Jim Shockey shows up, and he's got this Western hold get up going and he looked yeah, sharp Zito, dude yeah i mean and, and then you just it was just funny like just to see everybody i saw bill dance without his tennessee hat on for the first time ever and he's wearing yeah. like a like a blue suit and i was like damn bill dance looks like somebody's well-to-do grandfather right now like you know it just right. it was just funny just to see everybody doing uh, doing all these different things but uh <laughs> anyway, anyway that is that is funny all right man so um so one of the things I want to ask you, and, and just keep the answers just brief, was hunting and fishing better before social media or after? I think it was better before, honestly. Yeah, I thought that's I what do. you were going to say. I, I do, because I think now people hunt just for the social media yeah. rather than their own internal uh, passion or pleasure of it. You know, I see that a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, What's your favorite real tree pattern ever created? You know, probably probably my favorite is this. Uh, I guess it ain't new anymore. I like this this uh, real tree timber right now, man. I love this timber. It's it's kind of it's kind of darker than mm-hmm. your typical real tree pattern, but I really like it. And I think it looks cool, man. It's just a, it's just a kind of sexy on the shelf too. I, I just think it looks cool. I like it. Right on. Um, in your opinion, how do you in how do we ensure the fish the the future of hunting and fishing? Um, you know, I think the, the number one thing people would say, um, let's make sure we pass it down to the kids. And inevitably that is the ultimate, you know, goal. But I think right now we're in a different time than we've ever been, but it could be taking a turn for the good. Um, so, so overall, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as excited with, you know, let's just say where things have been headed lately. Um, as, as a country. However, some of those same things are going to, I think, inevitably help people better understand hunting and fishing, not just as it applies to the sport, but to a, a livelihood, sustainability for body and soul, you know, where there's the food and are the, the, the mental and emotional joy that it brings. But um, I, I think the biggest thing we can do is just represent it for exactly what it is. And I think that gets back to, as I talked earlier in the podcast about the insecurity, just have complete security that our outdoor hunting and fishing is a God-given right, not a privilege. It's a God-given right that's given to us no different, very similar to a right to defend yourself. And so when you understand that if you're hungry and there's not a grocery store with chicken breast, it's okay to hunt a squirrel or a rabbit, um, regardless if you're an animal lover. It's all right to go. And, you know, all those people's got them bass fishing ponds and I've done it the last two summers where it's like, Hey man, we're taking everything out of here from 13, 14 inches down. You know, we trophy, dude, I, I would rather fish those places, man. I'm flaying out fish out the water. <laughs> I got more bass plays. I, I, eating bass is still fun for me. Oh, and, yeah. and, and so you start realizing that it, that hunting is more than just, uh, um, you know, a trophy room. And and I think I would end with that because I, I, I think this question deserves a little longer answer. I think I would say hunt from a passion and hunt from the standpoint of what can you show about hunting 
the same joy that if you really passionately love it, what is it that you want to share with others about it that you love? And and in and in in when it comes to trophy hunting, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to be careful in our venture to build these trophy runs because at the end, if we step all over everybody, if we you know, ruin relationships, friendships, marriages, whatever, over just a dead deer on the wall that might score high or the same with, you know, trying to catch the world record Marlin, all of a sudden you're going to be that jerk, you know, with a nice cigar and a glass of scotch in a lonely, dusty trophy room with no friends. And you really didn't do anything for hunting and fishing. So for me, remember that the true trophy is really the ventures and the stories and the laughing and some stupid joke you and I are going to play on each other or, or, or just the fun, the laughter, you know, may, maybe it's meeting your wife, your kids, vice versa, you, or maybe it's some cornbread we ate at camp that we're like, holy cow, some best freaking cornbread. And you forget that you killed a big deer right. or killed a longest bird turkey or caught a big fish. I think that's what the biggest thing the hunting industry misses. And I think we need to keep celebrating that because that's more important than the trophy. But inevitably, the trophy that the outdoor space provides is a, is a sense of provider uh, providing for us and, and not only spiritual, but true substance. If we get to the point where you can't go buy a ribeye or pork chop or chicken breast at the store, if you got access to, you know, we do it public ground or private ground, we can survive. And hunting takes on a different toll, just not just for those people like you and I who made a living at it, but also somebody in New York City who realizes like, wait a minute, this table, I mean, this field to table is pretty smart process mm-hmm. this lifestyle or this life that these people are living that i used to call them redneck hillbilly hicks they're pretty smart they're, they're pretty smart and 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 that 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 looks pretty peaceful and pretty uh independent from what i have lived and you realize that the people that don't understand hunting and fishing sometimes they're very dependent mm-hmm. on somebody else to do their killing farm right almost entirely in fact um okay so last question what are you the most grateful for I think I'm most grateful right now for, for, for my family, you know, uh, a, a good Lord has forgiven me over the, all the dumb things I've done. Lord, I've been just a, you know, I've look, I, I've been to church, but I've also held, did plenty of hail raising and I'm still, I'm still a sinner. And, and to look at the road, all the roads I've been down and have a, a great wife that stands behind me, um, healthy kids. Um, now I'm most grateful for the very simple things. I, I wouldn't even say the chance that I'm going to get to go elk hunting again. I'm thankful for that, but I'm truly humbly grateful that as I sit here and speak to you, Mark, that I got my health, that, that I can still get up and I can go two or three miles or seven miles in the elk country. I can still get out there and play one-on-one basketball with my kids and they whoop, they get where they whoop me because my <laughs> youngins are 14 to 21, one to four. I school him all the time, <laughs> but, but I, I'm, I'm thankful that I got my health, that I got people that I know I've identified that truly love me and I had, and they have unconditional love for me and I got unconditional love for them. And that, and um, so I'm most grateful for the very, very elementary, simple things more than I am any of the other things, whether it's, um, you know, money or anything like that. I'm, I'm very confident and have peace that no matter what could happen right now? I think with the foundation of those people I got around me, my father, my wife, uh, some close friends and relatives that that I'm in a place, no matter what happens, that I could find a certain peace, uh, whether it's in a, you know, a huge house or a single wide or a camper trailer. 
or, or, or whether it's uh, eating bluegill or, or eating filet mignon at my favorite restaurant. So I, I think I'm grateful for that mindset more than I am anything in those elementary things of, uh, of having, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a certain nirvana for me. I, I literally sounds crazy, but my wife and I just built a, a house and, and um, just the other night it, uh, I walk out, turkey season's over. And she, I didn't even told her this story, but I walk out of my porch and I went to Cracker Barrel, bought me a couple of them, them rocking chairs, right? You know? <laughs> and so I walk out there and I had me a, a, pour me just a little bit of some Irish whiskey. I'd been watching that Peaky Blinders. So I poured me a little Irish whiskey over the rocks. And I sat up in that rocking chair and it's, it's sunset and, and sun went down. And um, and I'm, I'm looking at my farm and I'm looking, I got some pecan trees out here. And old whippoorwill is fired up. Just two or three whippoorwills are singing, and uh, I can hear my youngins. Um, yeah, I can hear my youngins running around in the house. My wife is cooking. She she's making some country fried steak and with some brown gravy and mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese. And I ain't lying, Mark. Man, I I, I got emotional and I, I almost started crying. Cause like, man, thank you. Look, this is heaven. Yeah. I mean, this this is heaven. And a lot of people probably recognize that feeling, but it was just, I don't know. And it was just last night. And so I was like, man, I don't know. I, that is the thing that all the trophies, all the adventures, I wouldn't trade anything for those moments. Now, without those adventures and out certain paychecks, I wouldn't have a new house and I wouldn't even have a rocking chair for Cracker Barrel. So I don't know. I, I think I'm thankful. I'm just, I'm just ultimately grateful, humble. And um, I, I feel like I'm in a good spot as, as a, as a man, I don't know. Yeah. That's a great answer, man. Can't do any better. Um, well, I want to thank you really for coming on and, uh, you've had a, a remarkable career that is, is really probably just getting started, man. You probably got so many, we, we we'll do another podcast to find out what's coming next for you, but I'm sure that you're not going to sit still. You haven't sat still well, since I, you started. So I don't think it's happening. Well, well thank you. And, and one thing I want to say before, the podcast ends is definitely, man, um, definitely want to give you a, a huge high five hug, whatever it is for what you guys are doing at Waypoint. Um, holy cow. Like you said, you talk about getting those places in your life to where you just go try something and congratulations, all your success and Thank your partner. You. Y'all, y'all definitely paving a heck of a way out there. It's definitely caught my attention. I definitely uh, enjoy a lot of what the network has to offer, but you know, whether it's in the, this podcast or on the shows that, when you can tune in that, you know, it's funny, all my TVs are, they're Samsung TVs. And so I'm like, what? look at this. And I'm yeah. freaking out, like excited. So uh, congratulations, all y'all doing. I'm looking forward to doing some, some more stuff for you guys. And Let's maybe do it, man. Do some fun stuff. So uh, Let's yeah, do it. No we can, doubt. Congratulations. The, you know, on that, on that front, the it's, it's, it's literally, it's a, it's the wild, wild west. You can do anything you want. Yeah. I mean, it really That's is. Fun. It's an amazing time right now. An amazing time for a creator because there's no doubt. you can create anything. I mean, you got an idea for a, a series that's never existed before because it wouldn't work on television. It'd probably work Rock on on there, you know. It it probably yeah. would, but uh, but listen, it's been awesome to to get to know you a little bit better. I can't wait to uh, see you in person, and maybe we go to dinner or something, or or better yet, go hunting or fishing. I'd love to put you on I your first tarpon. It, I wouldn't want to r- destroy your life, but I would love to put you on your first tarpon, first bonefish. Man, first I would love whatever. that. And I've I've never caught I've never caught a tarpon. I've never have, and I've always wanted. I've even went and fed them i've been down yeah. to key west a couple of yeah. times and uh actually i don't know if you know uh, captain george clark he took oh, yeah. me out fishing and uh we had a great time caught some 
mahi mahi and nice. some stuff. just just kind of a day trip man man it was fun and, and, and man the whole time i'm looking at them plays i'm bringing them back i'm bringing yeah. them back home to georgia you know but um Oh, we'll bring, we, we need to talking. bring your family down there. Uh, we got a great oh, little setup with Hawks K and they'll do a little fishing and, uh, and, and visiting and yeah, that'd be a great time, man. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll do it. You'll love my kids. You'll get the deck hands. Love my kids. Cause I'll have, I got, I got four boys. I'll have two of them doing nothing to help play. We'll do the catch and we have, we'll just rotate. <laughs> okay. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, Michael, I appreciate it. I know you got stuff to do this afternoon, but thank you again for coming on. And, uh, have me on, man, buddy. we'll see you soon. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.